I'm always, I think I've heard Brandon say this too, it's always such a blessing to have people with talent, <laughs> with music to lead us, and it's very touching that, and the songs were perfect, Sam, Emily, Justin, thank you. That last song is one that always, it, yeah, it gets to my heart. And I don't, <laughs> I always say, I don't need that, Lord. I don't need to be crying as I come up here. But he always does that, so the Holy Spirit works well with those wonderful songs. So, and I always, I just wanted to say this before we start too. I think it was, it's really nice to hear that thunder when Omar and Brandon are reading <laughs> scripture. I love to hear the thunder outside. Uh, we didn't hear that for 10 years in California, but good to hear that. As you read God's Word, the thunder, it just it seems to fit so well. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Bible Church Gainesville service for July 23rd, 2023. It's always an honor to be able to open and share God's Word with you all. And today with Pastor Brandon in Guatemala and getting ready for Chloe and Pablo's wedding and Angie and the rest of the Phillips will be heading there in a few days. We'll be walking back into the book of Psalms. And it's always amazing to see how the Holy Spirit, He always lines things up so beautifully because today we'll be showing the documentary film, The Essential Church, later this afternoon. And in this psalm, what we'll look at today, Psalm 16, the title of today's message is A Faithfulness to God No Matter What. Because as believers... We're to live our lives with a faithfulness through life and death. Which means we live without fear of death. And even if there's another pandemic where our our lives are on the line, we live with a faithfulness no matter what. And we need to be able to assess something that's going on around us. We need to be able to make a decision of whether or not we venture out to church and that's the question. Is church essential? And that's what we'll see later this afternoon. Is church essential? That God has given us the ability to look at the facts and make a decision about if we come to church or not. We must make the choice of what is most important to us. Is it to please man or to please God? And that's at 3 p.m. today, the essential church. That was my plug. And in Psalm 16, David is going to show us how he was able to live a life like this for God. David went through those seasons in life, like all of us do, where we're all, we all become man-pleasers. We all fear man at one time in our life. But David got to a place where his faith, he was able to live a life for God through life and even death. And as we've walked through these opening psalms so far, I think we've gone one through well, we've skipped a few, but we've gone through the earlier ones here. And what we've discovered is that Psalm 1 is really the foundation that all the rest of the Psalms are built on. Psalm 1 is the bedrock for the book of Psalms. In fact, we could say that the entire book of Psalms is really just simply a deeper explanation of Psalm 1. Because again, Psalm 1 lays out the basic fundamentals. It's like the nuts and bolts of, about spiritual life and the nature of God. And walking with Him. And then really the rest of the Psalms, in one way or another, they, they just simply expand on these. And we always need to have Psalm 1-6 in our minds as we read the book of Psalms. In Psalms 1 and verse 6, David told us, he said, For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so what this tells us is the Lord knows who, are, who the righteous are. He knows those who love Him. And also, he knows, he knows those who are against him. And so whatever else happens in the meantime, and when, if all of world history comes to an end, and when the final accounts in heaven have been written, it will be shown and made clear that God knew and protected the way of the righteous. And that the way of the wicked perished. Even if they prospered for a time here on earth. But the Lord knew and protected the way of the righteous. This is what the rest of the Psalms expand on. This is what they explain. And there's, there's so much theology and doctrine wrapped up in these two statements in Psalm 1-6. Because the fact that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, well, 
that speaks of his, his uh, omnipotence. I can't say that word. His omniscience. That he's all-knowing. And the fact that he's able to guarantee an outcome for the righteous and the wicked alike. Well, that shows us that he's omnipotent. That he's all-powerful. We see his sovereignty because the fact that he knows every righteous and every wicked, that means he must be all-knowing in the universe that he governs. And so we see in Psalm 1-6 so much theology. And this should help us in understanding of our world and our walk with God and how everything is going to come out in the end. And for us believers as Christians here today, living after the New Testament was written, this should give us peace in our soul. Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous and because our Lord Jesus has fully redeemed us from our sins, so the only way it can turn out good for us in the end is good. Anything else would go against the goodness and sovereignty of God. And so as believers, for those of us who know Christ, we know as we sit here today, we already know the outcome. And this should help us knowing that, that the Lord knows our way and that He is good and that He is faithful. And we know the outcome before it even occurs. And we will not be disappointed in the end. So then the, the other side, the flip side, must be true. Because for those who don't know our Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that any prosperity that they enjoy is only temporary. Because their way is doomed. It's, it's doomed to destruction. So as we walk through the Psalms, what they do is they give us a complete, it's almost like a large flyover, a worldview picture of life. But then as it moves closer, it zooms into us, it zooms down to the details of life, which then causes these details to take hold in our hearts, and the doctrine and theology taught in the Psalms, it takes root deep down in our soul, which then will affect everything that we think about. That's everything in life even down to the greatest issue of life, including death. And so, let's walk through Psalm 16 today, and let's see what David and the Holy Spirit wants us to see. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to grab it and turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. And what David is doing here in Psalm 16 is he's, he's dealing with, he, he's facing death. Whether he's close to dying or, or he was just thinking about all those close calls that he had throughout his life. We don't really know, but, but this is one of these psalms where we can see David that he's almost stepping back and he's taking in the big picture. And he wants to show us the whole worldview that believers need to have if they're going to follow God and His Word. That if God knows all, if He's all-powerful, if He's sovereign, if we really believe that, then we will be faithful to God no matter what. And so let's read Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and God's word reads, A mitkam of David, Keep me, O God, for I take refuge in you. O my soul, you have said to Yahweh, You are my Lord. I have no good without you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The pains of those who have bartered another God for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set Yahweh continually before me because He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely for you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. You will not give your Holy One over to see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And there ends the reading of God's Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Father, we pray that 
that the Holy Spirit would be our guide today as we look at Psalm 16. Lord, help us to see how David, how David got to the point in his life where he wasn't afraid for his life to end, that he, that he trusted you even in death. Father, and that helped him live a life of bold, courageous faith in you. Father, please again forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've heard it said somewhere that no one is ready to live unless they're ready to die. And that doesn't sound right to our ears because why would someone ready to die be someone ready to live? Well, if we, we break this statement down for believers, it really makes perfect sense because it's only in facing death with, with a living faith in God that someone is ready to live boldly and courageously for the Lord in this life. I mean, we saw that in the 11 disciples, didn't we? I mean, before our Lord Jesus went to the cross, remember in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus, what did all the disciples do? Well, I mean, Peter put up a little fight, but really all of them ran. They hid. They were, they were hiding. After, after the crucifixion, they, they thought they were next. They weren't ready to die. But what happened after the resurrection? They became emboldened, and they were ready to die, and they went forward, and, and, and they turned the world upside down. And all of them did, in the end, end up dying for Christ, but it wasn't until they were ready to die that they were ready to live and change the world. Why? Because true faith faces death confidently and courageously. True faith looks death in the eye and says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And the only way we can get to this point is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can ask why. Because He has triumphed over death, and so now we can live without fear of death. But again, sometimes it's easier to say this than live it out. Because there's still that uncertainty of what it's like when we go through the doorway of death. Because death is final. Death is scary. What will it be like? What will it feel like? There's a there's a weirdness about that, but when we're true believers, God puts into our heart a true saving faith. And so even though death is scary, we can walk through the shadow of the valley of death because our Lord Jesus has defeated death. And so we don't have to fear death anymore. And for all of us here in this room, there's only two ways we can leave this world. It's either through death or the rapture. There's only two ways we can go. We must have a deep faith in God. And so no matter what, our faith in Christ must rise to the top. And here in Psalm 16, again, whether David is in immediate danger or not, we won't really know what's going on in his life but when he wrote this, but we do know he's thinking about death. He's, he's already been through those hair-raising moments of, in life where he's, his life has been close to being ended. And here it seems again like he's stepping back and he's thinking about dying. And then... He wants to think about how, how that should affect how he should live. Because he knows that he's not going to live forever. He won't live forever on this earth. So how should that affect the way he lives while he's here? And so let's walk through Psalm 16 and let's see what we can learn from the Holy Spirit guiding David as he wrote this in Psalm 16. So we'll break Psalm 16 down into six sections. So if we want to have a faithfulness to God, no matter what, here's six ways David does it. First, in verse 1, we see David's prayer. David's prayer. Second, in verse 2, we'll see David's pledge. His pledge. Third, in verses 3 and 4, we see David's partners. David's partners. And fourth, in verses 5 and 6, we'll see David's portion. His portion. Fifth, in verses 7 and 8, we'll see David's privilege. His privilege. And then sixth, in verses 9 through 11, we'll see David's passion. David's passion. As we walk through Psalm 16, we'll see David's prayer, pledge, partners, portion, privilege, and praise. So let's dive in to Psalm 16. First, David's prayer. Verse 1. Keep me, O God, for I take refuge in you. 
So right off the bat, we can see David has an undivided devotion to God. (laughs) And notice it's God here and not Yahweh. David uses God, Elohim, instead of Yahweh. And the reason is he wants us to understand just who it is that he's taken refuge in. Because Elohim, God, it means might, strength, and power. It's it's the almighty creator from Genesis 1.1. It means God of gods. It's the one true God of the universe. David wants us to understand that, that we can't compare the God of Israel with any of the false gods of the other nations. That Elohim, God, is the one true God. And this is who David puts his trust in. So David's refuge is in the most high, everlasting, all-powerful God. This is who, this is who, and there is no one else, David is looking at. Elohim. David has taken refuge in. There's nothing or no one else that David has put his faith in. And what's amazing about this is that David, David has a close personal relationship with this most high, everlasting, all-powerful God. He has a close personal relationship. And as he walks with him, David continues to make God his refuge, his fortress. God is his stronghold. He says, keep me, O God, for I take refuge in you. David's saying, God, keep me secure as I go through life and as I face the terrifying reality of death. And if you preserve me, if you get me out of this, I'll do it with a confident trust in you. I will completely trust in you. And for us, I mean, to be honest, it's not easy to get to this point, to face death and have an absolute trust in God. Because again, death is such an unknown reality. I mean, we all know about it. I would think most of us in this room today have known someone that has died. But because it's an unknown doorway that someone goes through and they're either transported somewhere else, either to heaven or hell, it's still strange to us. But here in Psalm 16, David's where Paul was. When he said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul said, for to me to... For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a win-win for David. If he dies, he goes to be with God. And if he lives, he can go on serving him on earth. So this is David's prayer. He's like, keep me even in the face of death. Preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O mighty one. So first, we saw David's prayer. And now second in verse 2, we see David's pledge. So even as David... He's looking at life and death. He makes a pledge to God. He makes a commitment to God even in the tough times. Verse 2. He says, O my soul, you have said to Yahweh, you are my Lord. The legacy Bible includes O my soul here. And the reason they do it is because in the original Hebrew when it says, you are my Lord, this is, this is the rock. This is the anchor that David's that David has his trust bound to. This is what David's soul is anchored to. It's, it's God, you are, you are my Lord and Master, and I'm 100% committed and submitted to you. This is really an amazing personal response. And it comes from deep inside his soul. This is why for us to face To face death with this kind of trust and this kind of faith, there needs to be a close personal relationship with God. And this this kind of relationship isn't something that we just go through the motions. It isn't just a routine or or just a bunch of boxes that we check off. No, this is a, a personal relationship with the living Almighty God. And it comes from deep down in our souls. It comes from deep inside us. Do we really know God? Or are we content to know just a few facts about Him? Do we know of Him or do we know Him? David says, Oh my soul, you have said to Yahweh. And what has David's soul said to Yahweh? Notice here, David uses Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew word for God. It's a name that, that, that God told to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, in verses 13 through 15. What it means is, I am, I am now, what I always was and will always be. In English, we translate it to Lord, 
all capitals, L-O-R-D. Because the Jews were so concerned, they didn't want to misuse the name of God, the tradition began where the most important name of God became a four-letter name represented by the four Hebrew letters, the Yod, the He, the Wa, and the He, which then became pronounced as Yahweh. And Yahweh is the covenant name for the God of Israel. So when David uses the third name, and then David will use the third name here at the end of this, you are my Lord, he uses Adonai. Adonai, which means Lord and Master. And so here David's saying to God, the Almighty One of the universe, the covenant God of Israel, he's saying, Lord, I am coming unto you for protection because you are my Lord and Master. I'm confident in your power. You are my master. I submit to you as my master and as my Lord. Which means there is nothing I desire more than you, Lord. Because this is where his trust and faith comes from. They come from deep, a deep, deep desire from his soul deep down inside. David has a desire to submit to his Lord because he has a personal relationship with his Lord and Master. And then notice at the end of verse 2, David says, I have no good without you. Notice, I have no good without, without you, without God. And what David is saying here in these six little words is, if we boil it all down to its core, it's what's the most important thing in our life. And to David, what he's saying is, Lord, all my affections, all my devotions are found in you. So he's saying, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. There is nothing that I desire, Lord, more than you. I don't desire sin more than you. I don't desire human relationship more than you. I don't even desire my own life more than you. I have no other affection other than you because, Lord, you are my good. You alone are the owner of the throne room of my heart. He's saying, I bow before you. I love you immensely. I love you with all of my power. <laughs> so this psalm is just getting started and already we can see into David's heart. What a, what a deep, 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 what's going on deep in his heart, deep in his soul. And what we see is, is, there, is no, there is no competing affections in his life. The Lord is first in his life. Nothing else matters, not money, not fame, power, or any other human love. There's nothing that will compete with his affection for the Lord. He says, I have no good besides you. And this should make us step back and think about our affections. That is our Lord Jesus number one in our lives. Or do we share that spot with other things? And so as we think about our Lord Jesus, how he suffered and he bled to purchase our redemption from sin, do we feel deep down in our soul that the whole world could pass away, that we could lose everything, and that we would still be secure and content in Him. Is our Lord Jesus the fundamental conviction of our heart? This is what David's expressing. It's this kind of exclusive affection. This supreme love for the, for the God to whom David prays. This is his pledge. He's pledging this. And so we saw David's prayer. We saw David's pledge. And now third, we'll see David's partners. His personal relationships with those he wants to partner with. David's partners. Let's look at verse 3. He says, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David's told us that the Lord is first in his life. He has no competing affections in his life. And so because God is the owner of his affections, the result of that conviction is that he's gonna, this is going to determine who he associates in his life, who he partners with. He's saying, God, as I, as I think about and pray about my commitment to be faithful to you, I want you to know that your people, your saints, they're the ones on the earth, they're the majestic ones, and they're the ones in whom I delight. He's saying, God, identify with your people. Identify with your godly ones. Saints in the Bible means holy ones. And how saints become holy is it's a positional 
It's positional that through the imputed righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is our justification, we're imputed with Christ's righteousness. And because of that, it now means that that the saints are becoming practically holy each and every day in the Lord. That's our sanctification. As we grow in our holiness each and every day, as we become more like Christ each and every day. That's That's what saints mean. A saint is not just someone we see on a stained glass window. No, a saint is anyone who is a believer, someone walking day by day with the Lord and becoming more like Him day by day. So every born-again believer is a saint. And so David's saying, as he's walked through his life, this is, this is these godly men and women, that's where he wants to be, with them. He wants to be with those who belong to the Lord. That's why he writes this majestic ones here in verse 3. True believers are children of the king. Which means there's, there's like a nobility meaning here. We're children of the king. Those who have submitted to the king and are in the kingdom were adopted into God's family. We become children of God. And David's saying that he has a kindred spirit with those. He says they are his delight. And so this is a, a wonderful reality of Christianity. That no matter, no matter what our income is, no matter what our culture, what culture we come from, there's, there's a kindred spirit that connects all believers. David's saying, Lord, I identify in your people. They are my delight. And now, in verse 4, David will look at those whom he will not partner with. Those he does not delight in. Look at verse 4. He says, the the pains of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. David's saying, Lord, those who do not honor you, those who follow a false god, he's saying, Lord, you know the way of the wicked. And they're going to suffer many sorrows. And it's going to be multiplied. Their sorrows will eventually become so much it'll just overwhelm them. Now, David does have sympathy for those who do not honor God, but he understands that their end, their destination, is not good. Because he realizes the outcome of their unfaithfulness and their disbelief, again, it does not come out well. Verse, or Psalm 1.6, again, the way of the, of the wicked will perish. David says, I, I, I won't be known with their false worship. I won't take the names of their gods on my lips. Because David's in the kingdom and they're outside the kingdom, David's going to separate himself from sinners who do not want anything to do with God. And remember, we're not talking about reaching out to people to evangelize here. No, we're talking about who do we associate with? Who do we partner with? Who do we share affections with? Who do we enjoy our time with? Where do we find common interest in? Or common love or common desires? The same thing Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? David knows that the pains of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. Bartered. Exchanged. They would not submit to God. In fact, they exchanged the one true God for another God, one that they felt better like. One that they liked better. Felt more comfortable with. And so why are their pains, why will it be multiplied? Well, because when someone worships any other God other than the one true God Almighty, there can be no comfort and no pleasure because these are false gods that are made up by men and they cannot give any kind of lasting joy or hope or peace. But these, these, these people would rather follow the world. They would rather sin than submit and worship to the true God Almighty. And David said, I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood. The Israelites, of course, would offer sacrifices of animals, but they were told by God never to drink the shed blood. And so what the pagan nations surrounding Israel would do is they would take the blood of slain animals and they would mix it with some wine and they would drink it as they worshipped their false gods. And David's saying, I'll never join with them. I'll never do that. 
nor will I take their names upon my lips. David said, I, I will not in any way, shape, or form ever acknowledge with my lips as gods their gods or give to them the glory which is due you, Lord. David has said, Lord God, you are the owner of my affections and because of that conviction, that's going to determine who I associate with. That's going to determine who I partner with in my life. And so we saw David's prayer, his pledge, his partners, and now fourth, David's portion, verses 5 and 6. David's portion, or his lot. It's his lot in, in having a personal relationship with the Lord. And so what's important to us? What are we living for? Are we living for earthly treasures or our Lord? That when, that when we're on our deathbed, what are we holding on to? Verse 5. Verse 5 says, Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance. What David's saying here is he's saying, Lord, you are what I'll receive in life and what I'll receive in death. And that's enough for me. Your person, Lord, you are my reward. God is David's supreme treasure. That having the Lord as his portion is better than the, than the best piece of land that anyone could inherit or a great palace on a hill. You know, Paul in the New Testament said in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 11, in Ephesians 1.11, Paul said, In him we also have been made an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So Paul is telling us that for, for us, Jesus won us at Calvary. And the spoils of His victory over Satan and sin and death. And now we belong to Him. That from eternity past, God the Father planned and determined that every person who would trust in His Son for salvation would be given to His Son as a possession a glorious inheritance. And back here in Psalm 16, what David is saying here is, it's the Lord Himself that's the blessing. That's His inheritance. It's the Lord Himself that is the blessing. So by knowing God and being in submission to Him, and by being in a relationship with Him, He has the blessing. He has the reward. He has everything that He could possibly want. And then David says in verse 5, and my cup. And this is not a cup of wrath. Usually when we see cup in the Old Testament, it has something to do with God's wrath and judgment. But here, the cup that David drinks, he finds comfort, it's refreshment, it's, it's happiness because he's in a deep personal relationship with the Lord. And then he ends verse 5 with, you support my lot. His lot. Or his portion. His portion. His life. His life is with the Lord. He's 100% content there. It's the Lord that's, that's supporting his lot. It will be there. It will be there in the end. And now verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. You know, back in, in Numbers chapter 18. In Numbers 18.20, God told Aaron, the high priest, it says in Numbers 18.20, then Yahweh said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in your land, nor own any portion among them. So why would God do that to the high priest Aaron? Because next God says to Aaron, I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. So when Israel finally entered into the promised land, God distributed the land to the different tribes of Israel. And each tribe got a section of the land. They each received their inheritance from the Lord. It was the place where they would physically live and receive the blessing. But Aaron the high priest didn't get any land because Yahweh was his inheritance. You see, David understood this. He understood this was a promise not only given to the priest, but also everyone who would trust God. That God will be the portion of their inheritance. And David knows that this inheritance is way better than any land or riches or earthly thing. That's why it says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. So this would be like, in the land, the, the, the best of the best. The best part of the land. The most desirable part of the land. The most treasured part of the land. But even that great inheritance of the best of the land is nothing in comparison to knowing God. 
by being in submission to him, by being in a relationship with him. This is David's, David's inheritance. It's his supreme treasure because David has the blessing. He has the reward. He has everything that he could possibly need. And so he ends verse 6 with, Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. And again, what's David's inheritance? It's the Lord himself. That's his inheritance. It's the Lord himself that is his blessing. And so by knowing God, by being in submission to him, by being in relationship with him, he has the blessing. He has the reward. Again, he has everything that he could possibly want. And so he says, it's beautiful. Because it's all he needs. David's saying he finds his complete satisfaction in God. And so he's expressing this, this fullness of his commitment to him. He's not saying that he needs Yahweh and then something else to make his heart satisfied. No, he has Yahweh and Yahweh alone, and that's enough. And for us here today, those of us on this side of the New Testament, we have Christ, and that should be enough to satisfy our soul. Why? Because he's the one who laid down his love in love for our soul. He's the one who gave himself for me and for you. He's the one who gave himself up for us on the cross, which means that we don't need anything else. This is everything we need. And so, like Paul said, if we boast, we should boast in nothing else but the cross because it's all about Christ. It's all about our Lord Jesus who loved us so much that He was willing to go and die on the cross. And, and so now we give to Him all our love and there's nothing that can pull us away from that because if we have Christ, we have it all. It's beautiful to me, and it's beautiful to you. And so in Psalm 16, how does David, how does David have a faithfulness to God no matter what? Well, he showed us his prayer, his pledge, his partners, his portion, and now fifth, David is going to show us his privilege. Verses 7 and 8, David's privilege. And as we go on here in Psalm 16, we see David's contentment in God that that his joy is not in what God gives him, but in God himself. David is completely satisfied in him. And in verses 7 and 8, David understands his privilege as he, as he, as he heads into the future. Verse 7, he says, I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. When David needed counsel, when he needed guidance, God gave it to him. Throughout David's life, there were so many times when he didn't know which way to go or what to do. And yes, David failed at times in his life. But Yahweh gave him guidance. And his guidance wasn't, wasn't that everything was going to work out for David. It didn't always go the way he wanted it to. No, but this counsel, what it did for him was it ensured him that God was near to him. David had God at the top spot in his heart. Top spot. And because of that, he was confident and he could not be shaken. He could not be moved. That God was with him. That God is a living person who is with him throughout all of David's life. And with this, with this God, with him, David's heart could not be moved because it was so completely anchored in the affection for his God. Even facing death, he couldn't be moved. And so because of this counsel, David says, Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. The Hebrew word for mind, it means literally kidneys. <laughs> kidneys. It refers to the innermost part, the personal, our personal, in the personal life. And so at those times at night, when we wake up, and I don't know if all of us have had that. I've had those two o'clock, three o'clock morning wake-ups where the heaviness of life, it just seems to press, us, press you down in the mattress. But here, because David has trusted God and because if God is really who he says he is, that he is sovereign, that he is good, that he is faithful, if he is, if he is good and gracious and faithful now, and that if he is unchanging, and that's not going to change in the future, so if God is good and gracious and faithful today, then He will be the same forever. And He will always be with us. 
And it can't possibly do anything other than come out good for us in the end. We will be blessed. When we treasure God's Word in our heart, we receive His guidance that will sustain us during the nights of difficulties, the nights of trials, the nights of tossing and turning, which should help us fall back asleep because it's then settled into our mind that the outcome doesn't matter. We don't have to stay awake trying to figure everything out because God knows and He has it under control. And because of this, David says in verse 8, I have set Yahweh continually before me. So what David is telling us here is, this is what I'm looking to for direction. Sometimes we, we use a compass, or they used to use a compass, now we, everything's on our phone, but we used to use a compass for direction. But here David is saying, it's the Lord who I'm going by. There are times when trials hits, and sometimes our view of life can get cloudy. But we don't go by what we can't see or what we can see. Paul told us this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul said, set your mind in the things of above, not in the things that are on the earth. And so if we keep the Lord continually before us, like David, if we seek the Lord all the more by setting our mind on the things above and let our faith of who He is and what He's doing and on what He's done and what He will do settle into our minds, it helps us It guides us, it directs us, and it provokes us so that we will not be shaken. But how can we do this? Well, David ends verse 8 with, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Remember, the right hand was looked at as a post of honor and dignity, but also a position of defense or protection. And having the Lord at our right hand really makes all the difference Because for David, God was his protector and he was always near to him. Always ready to step in for his defense. And even when David was faced with death, he knew God was at his right hand. And because of this, the very end of verse 8, David says, I will not be shaken. I'm confident I won't be shaken. Even even if I'm faced with death, I'm not going to be moved. God is with me. There's, There's a complete confidence. It's settled. God is at my right hand. And so what David is doing is he's, he's expressing again this, it's settled in his mind. It's a settled conviction that God is good. God is sovereign. God is always with him. And God is only good. So no matter what happens, it can only be good. Here in Psalm 16, David wants us to have a faithfulness to God no matter what, even in the face of death. We can be faithful to God. Even, even death can't turn us away. And we've looked at his prayer, his pledge, his partners, his portion, his privilege. And now lastly, sixth, we see David's praise. So as David looks at the future, he's not sure how long he has. But he's going to give everything he has to the Lord. And he's going to praise him. Verses 9 through 11, David's praise. Verse 9, he says, Therefore my my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. They taught us in seminary, whenever we see the word therefore, we need to see what it's there for. Therefore means so or because of. So because of what was just said at the end of verse 8, which was because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Then verse 9 begins, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. And not only that, but the rest of verse 9, he says, my flesh also will dwell securely. Notice there's three things here. It's his heart, glory, and flesh. And what are they all saying? Well, deep down inside, David, that's the, that's the deep down part of him. He's telling us there's joy, there's security, and because of these things, it makes my heart glad. So the reality of who God is and who David is, that he is in a relationship with God, that just moves his character. It drives his nature. It, it shapes the way he thinks. So David has an undivided confidence, an undivided satisfaction, even in death. Death, the great unknown. 
And as far as what it feels like, how it works, we don't know. But David is ready to die. And so because he is, he's ready to live all out for God. So how do we know that death is on David's mind here? Well, look at verse 10. David says, For you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. Sheol means underworld, underworld or grave, hell, pit. So it means death. So David's saying, even death won't separate me from this gracious God who is with me. This is the kind of faith we need. This, this, this faith in death that, that leads to a courageous boldness in life. This is the kind of faith that all those great men of faith, those men who are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they call it the, the, the great hall of faith, all of those men had. When there's no fear in death, how can there be any fear in life? Notice David says here in verse 10, For you, for you will not forsake my, my soul to Sheol. Now he's speaking directly to God. It's as if he turns his head from looking at us, and now he's looking up to the Lord. He's saying, Oh, you, oh, you, O oh Lord, will not leave me in the ground. You won't abandon me in death. Again, this is the kind of faith we need to have. We're going to get to the point where David is. David's saying, I belong to this God, and he's good, and he's faithful. And that means when I die, he's still going to be good, and he's still going to be faithful to me. So the grave will not be the end of my existence. Not even the grave can bring a separation between me and my God. That death isn't the end. In fact, all death is, is God calling us home. As believers, we need to always remember that we'll never be more at home than one millisecond after we die. As we enter into His presence of His glory, we will be home sweet home. Oh, our, our bodies will be laid to rest in the ground for a time. They'll bury our bodies. But our soul, the real part of who we are, will go and be with the Lord. And we'll be home. And then at some future time, our bodies will be glorified and they're going to join up with us again. And we'll be body and soul, home with the Lord forever. Look at the end of verse 10. You will, you will not... Give your Holy One over to see corruption. This is an amazing statement by David here. Because he wrote this a thousand years before our Lord Jesus was born. And what he's talking about here is our Lord Jesus' resurrection. How can we be so sure? Well, in Acts chapter 2, you can flip over to Acts chapter 2 if you want, or you can just listen. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter uses what David wrote here in Psalm 16, and he uses it in a sermon that he preached the Jews at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Acts 2, starting at verse 22, here's what Peter said. He's preaching to these men at Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And now here comes Psalm 16. Peter goes on. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not forsake my soul to Hades nor give your Holy One over to seek corruption. So Peter's telling these men who are listening to him. We all know that David died, his body decayed, but Jesus did not. Peter goes on in Acts 2 in verse 31. He's, he's talking about who it was that David was writing about. Peter goes on and says, he, that's David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ 
that he was neither forsaken to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. The disciples all saw the risen Christ. Peter ate fish with him in Galilee after the resurrection. David wasn't speaking just about himself, but he was talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we go back to Psalm 16, back here in Psalm 16, David, again, writing a thousand years before any of this ever happened, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, was writing about our Lord Jesus, who because he lived the perfect life and went willingly to the cross, when he was put to death, his body would not see decay. His body would not remain in the grave, but God the Father would raise him up. And so then even later in Acts, Paul, Paul in Acts chapter 13, Paul also uses what David wrote here in Psalm 16. In verse 10, he uses it to explain the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 35, Acts 13, 35 through 37, Paul said this, Therefore he, he's talking about David, also says in another psalm, You will not give your Holy One over to see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. So when David wrote this, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't saying that he himself would not physically decay in the grave. No, he was saying that the Lord Jesus is the one who would not decay. David knows he's going to die. He doesn't know where and when, but he knows he's going to die. He's going to be buried and that his body would decay. But what he's telling us is don't be afraid because God is so faithful that not even death could separate us from him. God is so powerful, so much more powerful than death. And so that should comfort us. Because we know that the same God that David knew, we know we're living on this side of the resurrection. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter, every spring. And so for us, our Lord Jesus has come, He lived, and then He went to the cross, He died, He was buried, and three days later, He was resurrected. And we can look back now and we can see Christ is resurrected. And this is important. Why? Because David, again, wrote this. This is why David wrote this. And we can even see it. John, what our Lord Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 19. Our Lord Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 19, Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. And so how can we live without fear of death? Well, again, David, writing this a thousand years before it happened, wants us to know because God brought Christ through the resurrection and by our union with Christ, we know, we know for certain, without a doubt, that we will not be separated from God, that he will bring us through death and then to a future resurrection because we are joined with Christ. And so that means what happened to him will happen to us. And was our Lord Jesus raised from the dead? Well, then we will be too. Our bodies will join us one day, and this should result in no fear and death. And so after all of this, after all that David has walked us through here in Psalm 16, he ends this psalm with these three praises of hope in verse 11. In verse 11, back in Psalm 16, David says this, He has three hopes of praise. The first praise. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. So after just just talking about death and Sheol, David first gives praise to God for making him known, making known to him rather the path of life or the way of the righteous. Remember the two paths. There's two roads that every person is on, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. The path of life is something that, that the believer enjoys now but also in eternity. This is the hope of eternal life. David David is talking about God is giving us eternal life to enjoy as a present gift. But this gift extends all the way into eternity when we enter into the very presence of God. And then next in verse 11, what will happen when we come into the Almighty's presence? That's the second praise. He says, because God has, has placed David on the path of life, And when he dies and enters into God's presence, David's praise is, in your presence is the fullness of joy. So when God calls David home, 
or when God calls each of us home, when we are standing in the throne room in heaven, what will it be like? In your presence is the fullness of joy. And so it's not a partial joy. It's not an imperfect joy. It's not a joy mixed with pain and sorrow. No, this is full joy, a joy that can't be felt on earth. It's only a joy that can be felt with the Lord. It's a joy that will never end. That's why he says it's the fullness of joy. It would be like us trying to freeze 10 seconds of the most joy that we've ever experienced here on earth. And we could take those 10 seconds and we could multiply them by a billions and billions. It's not even close to the joy that we'll experience when we're with the Lord. And this joy will never end because the last line in verse 11, David thirdly, thirdly praises God. He says, in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. It's interesting that David refers to in God's right hand are pleasures forever. In God's right hand, there's a picture of welcoming, like the right hand of fellowship. And for us who know, for us who know right now who's sitting at the right hand of God, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God will lead us in life and our Lord Jesus will lead us through death and he will bring us safe to the other side because the pleasure at his right hand, because he loves us. And so it's only in facing death with a loving faith that we are ready to live with a courageous boldness in this life. This is what David is showing us. He showed it in his prayer, his pledge, his partners, his portion, his privilege, and his praise. And so as we conclude, as we wrap this up, at the time when David wrote this psalm, he wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid to cross over to the other side. In Psalm 16, this is David. He's pouring out his heart. This is a man who has walked with God. He's a man after God's own heart. He wants us to take what he shared and help us to live this out in every area of our life. And what he just told us was, if God is our refuge, if we have a personal relationship with him, for us, our relationship comes only through his son, Jesus Christ, So if He is our sovereign Lord, if He is our supreme treasure, if He is our trusted counselor, then we can live with courageous boldness because God will bring us body and soul through life and death and into eternal joy with this truth, with this faith. It's just going to seep down into every area of our lives because it's going to take deep root in our hearts and it should affect everything that we think about. Everything in life, even to the greatest issues in life, including death. We saw David's confidence and faith in God. Nothing in life, nothing in death could shake that. We saw in David, a, a, there, he just had such a single-mindedness for God. And it filled to overflowing the joy and the blessing of his hope. And he dwells securely in God. And because of this, his entire life was guided by this wonderful, beautiful inheritance. That even in facing death, he has a supernatural reality about his faith and he trusts God. And so for us, there's only one way we can know God like this. And that's again through his son, Jesus Christ. That if we confess, repent, and believe on him, we'll receive eternal life. And our fear should melt away Because perfect love casts out fear. And the reality of our life should be shaped by the faithfulness to God. So how do we live in faithfulness to God no matter what? Well, it can only happen if we have a close, personal relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do, that means we have a close, personal relationship with God the Father. And so because God is only good, this needs to shape our affections, our love, and totally shape the way we think. We need, like David, an all-out commitment, a devotion to faithfulness so that we can say, like Paul, with no fear, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we bless your name. Father, you are, Father, we are, we are so thankful for this psalm that David wrote and that our souls can be fed with your truth. Father, help us to get where he got. None of, here, none of us here today, Father, none of us here today know how long we have on this earth. But help us to be ready. Help us to be ready to die so we can live with a boldness for you. To live like, like, like David did. That your son Jesus said, he is, he is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him will live, even if after dying. Father, help us to take to our hearts all of that and live for him. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.